0: I want to call your attention to 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. You can follow in your Bible your electronic device, or you can follow me on the screen. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers in Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. The servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father... If the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God, In all the earth, but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. I want to speak to you for a little while. A sermon that has been boiling on the inside of me for the past several weeks. I just want to title it simply, Options. Having it your way. Options. Having it your way. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for being kind and standing. You may be seated. Day after day, we are confronted with a vast array of options. Everybody say options. So many options that it would absolutely make your head spin. A question as simple as, how do you want your hamburger, can be quite a challenge. According to Burger King, the home of the Whopper, which in my opinion is still one of the finest burgers anyway, if you can find one fresh and done properly. That's the big if. But Burger King, the home of the Whopper, according to them there are 1,024 different ways for a customer to order that iconic burger. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. We have options in what we eat and what we wear and what we listen to and what we watch, what we drive, what we do and think. As a matter of fact, it has been discovered that the average person makes about 35,000 decisions per day. It's just a little indication of how many options are in front of us in one single day. In a lifetime, it's about 773,618 decisions. What's interesting about this number is that there's about 143,262 decisions that we make in our lifetime that we live to regret. Researchers at Cornell University estimates that we will make 226.7 decisions a day about food Alone, Oh, the options that we have on a daily basis and the decisions that we have to make about them. It wasn't always like this. When Henry Ford began selling the Model T, he was known to have said, you can have any color you want in an automobile as long as it's black. Some of you will recognize this. When you look at old grainy photographs of that earlier time around the early 1900s, you'll see crowds of men standing in a, in a, on a street corner. They all have on the same bowler hat and the same dark Charlie Chaplin style suits. There, were, there weren't that many options in life a number of years ago. But as individuals, we can do things today that farmer generations could not even dream of. And obviously, obviously, we have grown accustomed to our options. We are used to thinking in an optional way. We have an option-based mentality. So whenever our options become limited by some force or some voice outside of ourselves, we have a tendency to become dismayed and annoyed and even angry. We all like our options and you can forthrightly say to anybody you choose, don't mess with my options. So it's not surprising since we've grown so accustomed to such an optional way of thinking, the words of Jesus would be called into question by some His brother Jason just mentioned ten things that Jesus said that we really wished he would not have said because it takes away so many of our our options. Jesus said quite clearly in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. God spoke through the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 and said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's no other options when it comes to that. I said there's no other options when it comes to that. There is only one God, and there is only one way to reach eternity. I'm going to say that again. There is only one God, and there is only one way to reach eternity. I would like to believe this morning that most of us who are sitting in this room believe this. But as we view it from the context of our option-based lifestyle, it is a little unsettling. For not only do we like our options, But we like to think that our neighbors have their options too. In America, everybody gets to vote. Everybody gets to live his life pretty much as he chooses. Everybody gets to do his own thing. We have somehow, seemingly, since the Clinton presidency era, have been kind of forced into a mold of um, we have to be politically correct because people have options and Whatever they want to do, they have the freedom to do it. So as Americans, we are accustomed to so many options. We're almost offended, Brother Jason, when someone dares to insist that there is only one way like Jesus did. I mean, in our current environment, it's just not cool to even think that way. Life to us is not inclusive. Thinking this way is, uh, is, is, is just not the norm. It's not being open-minded. It's, it's just not optional to think that there's no options. So we determine how can all of this be right. You'd be surprised if I told you that this reaction to our very specific God is by no means unique to our time. There was a man in the Old Testament who lived and thought in the same optional based way that we think he was exceedingly powerful, rich, he was famous, he was popular. If you had all that going for you, no matter what era you lived in, in a world of options, uh, a world of options would be open to you and you would find it quite easy to have it your way. He had servants to carry out his every wish. The man's name was Naaman. He was a general, a commander of an army of a kingdom known as Aram, which was to the north of Israel. And as a commander, Naaman served with distinction, praised by his people and lauded by his king. From a worldly point of view, General Naaman had everything that is except good health. It would seem that man that, that, that man can have everything he's ever wanted. He can have a life overflowing with options. But listen to Pastor this morning. All of those options can be taken away by just one thing, and that is your own mortality. The prospects of a terminal illness. And the death that inevitably follows has a way of limiting one, limiting one's options down to none. And listen to me this morning. There will always come that point in everyone's life when nothing more can be done. It was in this position that our man Naaman found himself. For he had leprosy, that dreaded disease of ancient times. What made the disease so horrible is that it would first shut down the blood vessels in your extremities. And then with slow and steady cadence, it would march towards your vital organs and eventually take your life. This was one battle that the proud general could not win. But all was not truly lost. For in his household, there was a young servant girl from Israel who had been captured and put in service of Naaman's wife. This slight little slave girl could not contain herself. To her mistress she said, If only my master would go and see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. The utter certainty with which she talked, coupled with the fact that Naaman had no other options, convinced Naaman to go check out this prophet. I want to stop and say here in passing this morning, I would to God, whether you feel like you've known Jesus in past times or not, I would to God that every man, woman, boy and girl in this building would give Him one more time your undivided attention and just see what a fresh infilling of the power of the Holy Ghost could do in your life, could do in your home, could do in your marriage, could do to you as a parent. I'm telling you today, there's options with God you run out of options. The prophet in Samaria, of whom the young girl had spoken, was Elisha, this representative of the one true God, the God who created the earth and all the people in it. The meeting of Naaman with Elisha is almost exactly like a modern American meets Jesus today. It's that classic confrontation of the powerful man The powerful option man versus an entirely specific God. Boy, it's hard for us folks here today to funnel this concept and principle down into our brain and down into our heart. We still tried to persuade God that He shouldn't be all that specific when it comes to what He wants out of our life. And He needs to give us more latitude, and to have a whole lot more understanding. So the powerful option man, is now at a match between an entirely specific God. It must have really been a sight to behold. Naaman should have come to God's prophet on his knees, but he didn't. Instead, he came with all the glory and power he could muster. He used his political clout. He had his king right, the king of Israel. And then he used his monetary power. He brought with him ten talents of silver, which in our current market is about 182,000 bucks. He brought with him 6,000 pieces of gold, 2 million three hundred and ninety thousand dollars to a grand total of two and a half million seventy two thousand dollars he brought with him to impress elisha and his God. Not only did he use this political cloud by having his king write to the king of Israel and not only did he use monetary power, but he broke out the military power. He arrived at the house of Elisha in his full military pomp and splendor. There were horses and chariots. If this were to happen in our day, he would pull up in a Humvee with general flags attached to the fender, crisply slapping, snapping in the breeze. You might say that Naaman had it all going on for him, man. What does Elisha do? Never comes out of his tent. Not impressed with all that business. Never came out to meet him. Elisha wasn't being rude. He was actually saying something. The Lord's prophets usually communicated with words, but sometimes they'd communicate with their actions. And here was here he was communicating to Naaman that the Creator of all things and the Lord God of the universe is just simply not impressed. Listen to the pastor this morning. That is really the first step for anyone who wishes to be helped by Jesus. Admitting that He is greater than you are. Admitting that he might know a little more than you do. Admitting that what he says goes and not what you say. In other words, the only posture that's acceptable when coming to Christ is when you approach your Creator, you come in humility. Not pride, not personal glory, but humility. And this message was reinforced by what Naaman was told to do. Elijah didn't. Elisha didn't come out. He sent his servant out to him who tells the general to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And as you might expect, The general didn't take that too well. He wanted some more options. What kind of nonsense is this? I wanted him to come out and wave his hands over me and do some hocus pocus and call call me by name and read everything that's going on in my life. But instead he tells me that I must wash in that disgusting and muddy Jordan River We have much better rivers than that back home. Why can't I just wash in one of them? I want some options. Again, it's the very powerful option-based man coming to a very specific God. I think the same thing happens whenever anyone is pointed to the cross of Christ the Christian gospel and the Word of God tells us, if you want help, go to the only one who suffers on the cross with sorrow and blood flowing down. Repent believing in Him. And how many times people don't react well to it. That's disgusting. And how can this cross business help me? How can repentance help me? How can getting wet in a baptistry help me? How can this speaking in tongues business help me? I'm here to tell you today. It does it doesn't matter how you think it can help you or not. I'm here to tell you that you can come to God however you want, but He's very specific in what He wants and what He asks for. And the quicker you submit to that, the happier and more fulfilled you will be. Amen. I mean, you know, I do a lot of good stuff for the church and, you know, I pay my tithes and I'm I'm faithful and, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I think God ought to work with me a little bit. He don't. Let me tell you how God is. I'm going to give you the the down and dirty, if you will. The Bible said that one of these days, every knee, including yours, is going to bow and you're going to confess that He's God. Might as well warm up to that idea now. And if you go ahead and do it now, your life would be a whole lot better from here. Everybody said amen. So because of the optional way that we're trained to think, you know, we always have options that the way that God has chosen to help humanity is not appealing enough, and it requires humility, and it requires repentance. But in Naaman's case... His servants once again stepped up to the plate and they said, If the prophet told you to do some great thing, you would have not asked any questions and you would have done it. But now he's giving you something simple to do. You don't want to do it. So with their simple reasoning, they convinced him and he went down to the Jordan River, dipped seven times. And the Bible said he came up with skin like a child. The leprosy was gone. What's wrong with following God's instruction? It's for your benefit It's to make your life better. And I think we should all get our head around that. I don't like the repentance thing, pastor. I don't like the baptism. I don't like the Holy Ghost thing. I don't like having to pay my tithes. I don't like having to be faithful to church. It's His way, man! So in our text, after all this happened, we are told that Elisha finally comes out and shakes the general's hand. Congratulates him and now the general's pretty humble by his healing, and he said, now I know there's no God in all the world except in Israel. The option man, the option-based man, the option-thinking man, the criticizing man, the arguing man, the debating man, finally comes to the conclusion. That there's only one God. And if you're going to ever be healed of anything, and if your life's ever going to be better about anything, you've got to come to Him on His terms. It's a lost soul meeting His true Creator. And then acknowledging Him as such, a similar thing happens. When people come to know Jesus, there's people sitting here today that really didn't want to go through it. They wanted their options. And I want to maintain my own lifestyle. And I really don't want to do what Jesus wants me to do. But you finally decided, one day I'm going to do it. His way. I'm just going to do it. Just do it. I'm just going to do it. And you found that your life changed for the better. And God gave you hope where there was no hope. And He gave you healing where the doctor said there is none. And He gave you a future where life had not promised you one before. I'm here to preach to somebody today. You can't have it your way if you want the best out of life. If you want God's best, you got to do it His way. Jesus said in John 11:25 and 26, he said, "I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Very specific. Like the pride, field, general name in the world may want us Christian folks to say and do what they demand. I want to have it my way, preacher. I don't want to do it your way. I don't want to do it God's way. I don't know how to do anything my way. You do it His way. You do it His way. You get that book and you read it and you study it and that's what you do. Just do it. Just do it. Bite the bullet and do it. And you find your life begins to come together. Praise the Lord. Everybody said, Amen. So on our list of 35,000 things a day that we have as options. There's a few things that's not. The list that I'm about to give you is not inclusive. There's a whole lot more, but let me just touch on some high points for just a few moments. There are some things that are not optional. Thank you. First of all, there is one God. That's not optional. Here, oh Israel... The Lord, our God, is one Lord. Praise the Lord. Paul said in Ephesians 4, There's one body and one spirit, even as you are called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, one faith. One baptism and one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all, Paul said in 1 Timothy 3. For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world and received up into the glory. That's that. There's not options. It's not optional. We are to love God. That's not an option. We are to love God. Jesus said in Matthew 22, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Not if you want to. Not if you find it convenient. Not if He agrees with what you're doing. He said, You shall love the Lord thy God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. May I submit to you this morning that repentance is not optional. It's not an option. Acts 17, 30, times of ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere, all men everywhere to repent. Water baptism is not optional. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. I submit to you the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not optional. Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 11, But if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that Raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. Loving others is not optional. I don't mean this to be humorous, but this applies to your spouse. Applies to your parents, your children, your family. You don't always have to approve of what people do and condone what they do. But Jesus said, Shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, and so on. The second commandment is like unto it Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything revolves around loving God and loving people. Living holy is not optional. We are commanded to live holy lives. First Thessalonians 4, 7, For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Ephesians 5, That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. I have news for a lot of ministry today in churches, a lot of pastors in in ministry today, and I applaud them and have a lot of respect for them. But God's not coming back after a big church. That's not an excuse not to evangelize the world. But His interest is not so much in numbers as it is the condition and the cleanliness of His church. The Bible said He's coming back after a holy church church, not a big one. And to sacrifice these precious things that the Word of God teaches us to incorporate into our lifestyle, to sacrifice and compromise those things for a big congregation of people, that's not in my playbook. I actually believe we can have both. I think we can have a holy church, and I believe we can have a big church. Amen. It's really based on how we present it. To people. That's what it's really based on. Let me hurry on another subject for another time. So therefore we know the things that keep us from living this kind of life that God wants us to live. And we have to throw off all those things that hinders us. You have to come to the conclusion when it comes to your relationship with God. There's not options. Put God first and remove from our lives all the things that lead us to sin if we do not have this yearning in our lives to live holy and godly lives, then we must seriously question the genuineness of our salvation and faith to begin with. I'm not going to tell you the denomination, but I harvested this very statement off the internet from a sermon that someone other than Pentecostal, one God, apostolic, blah, 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 preached at his church. This isn't a Pentecostal statement. It came from another denomination. And I found it interesting. We are commanded, he said, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. To continue in sin is to live contrary to God. One of the early church fathers said What a strange kind of salvation do they desire that do not care for holiness. They would be saved by Christ and yet be out of Christ in a fleshly state. I submit to you that tithing is not optional. I want to say to our young people who have jobs, and there are several of you, you need to pick you up a tithing envelope every time you get paid. And your parents or overseers need to see to it that you do that if you can't be a big boy and do it by yourself. And I want to tell all of our young people, don't marry somebody that don't pay their tithes. Don't do it. You'll be in a spiritual mess for the rest of your life. Church faithfulness will be hard. Right down the line. Tithing is biblical and it's not what you have left over. It's the first fruits, it's the top ten percent. Y'all ain't heard tithing from pastor in a long time. We ain't had any problems with it until recently. There's some of you folks that think it's okay. To pay your tithes only when you can afford it. That's not biblical. The first 10% out of your paycheck goes to Jesus. Not what's left over, not when the government's done with it. That's Bible. Amen. So it's not optional. May I submit to you today, all of us have been hurt, we've been burned, we've been impacted by negative situations, but quitting is not optional. There's never time to quit those of you that were here Wednesday night those of you that weren't I wish you were and wish you would come this coming Wednesday night we do have Bible study on Wednesday night and it's pretty good stuff I thought I'd get more amens out of the Wednesday night crew if y'all help me out here a little bit it'd be pretty cool we're here for an hour it ain't gonna hurt you man it's not gonna hurt you to show up for an hour on Wednesday night Bible study. Anyway, i got to hurry. But quitting is not an option. I taught this past Wednesday night. If you have a problem with me, if you have a problem with pastor staff, if you have a problem with somebody in the church, don't quit. Man up, woman up, and go talk to them about it. And get it worked out. Shake hands. Forgive one another. Kiss each other on the cheek. If it's appropriate, say I love you. And let's go on serving God. There's never a time to quit. There's never a time to quit. There's never a time to quit. And it's never too late to start over either. So God, God gives a command. God gives a command. And this is interesting. And I never really thought of it from this angle until studying and preparing for this message several weeks ago. God gives, gave Moses a command when Israel left Egypt, when they were facing the Red Sea. He gave them a command to leave Egypt and to go to the land of Canaan. That's the commandment. But in the middle of all of that, man came to realize that God kind of left them some options, which is kind of contrary to what God does. But let me show you what God was doing. He was setting precedent. And I would to God that everybody in this building would hear it. You can think what you want to think. You can say what you want to say. And you can live however you want to live. But keep in mind, one of these days you're going to stand before God. And then you will do it His way. He will either say, come into my kingdom and my joy. Heaven is yours for eternity. Or depart from me, I never knew you. That's it. You can do what you want. You can say what you want. And you can think what you want. But that's the bottom line right there, man. Everybody will walk that road. You can walk out of here today and forget about it. You can forget you ever heard this sermon. But When you quit breathing your last breath and your heart beats its last beat, you're going to stand before God and He's going to have a few questions for you. Amen. I'm not, we're not running the aisles this morning. We have to understand it's time for somebody to just do it. It's time to live for God, man. It's time to live for God. But God said in Ezekiel, or Exodus, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 15, The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? They were standing at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was behind them. And God said, Why are you standing here moaning and groaning about the situation you're in? I would to God that I could scream louder than I'm screaming. I wish they could max that sound system out without being too offensive to your ears. And maybe they already have. I don't know. I'm not sitting out there. But I'm going to tell you, there's people sitting in this building right now. You whine and moan and groan and I have all sympathy and compassion for you about your circumstances. And you keep crying out to God to help you. But God's given you a commandment. But see, this is where our option-based thinking comes in. We'd like to hear some other options. So God says to Moses, You want options? I'll give you some options. See what you think about options. God's command was clear and unmistakable. And the difficulty Israel was having that day, is because what God commanded them to do to get rid of their fear, their insecurity, their pride, and all of those other fleshly carnal things was only was only going to happen through obedience. And that's the stumbling block, man. You can have all the faith on the planet. If you can't obey, if you can't obey really don't help you that much. And that's where we struggle. And it's amazing, as, as parents here today, there's lots of parents here today. We want our kids to obey us, but we don't want to obey God. It's the epitome of hypocrisy. You obey me, son, and do what I tell you when I tell you. God says, you obey me, son, and do what I tell you when I tell you. And we're like, no, we don't want to. We want some options. But we'll spank our kids, or punish our kids, or make them sit in time out if they don't obey us. And saying in my notes, I just, I discern y'all gave a little extra in the offering today. Someone, <laughs> obedience was their only option. Other options were open to them, and these same options are available to us today, and with the same consequences. So let's quickly review these four options, and I'm coming to a conclusion. The children of Israel had defied God. This is one of their options. They could have defied God and turned back and headed back to Egypt. Some of you have done that. I'm not going to serve God like I used to. I'm going to go back towards Egypt. I may not go all the way into Egypt. But I'm going to get as close to the border as I can. You're going backwards. Y'all understand that? Revelation calls it lukewarm and backsliding. But had they defied God that day and turned back, to do so would have meant a return to even more grievous bondage and slavery than they had ever experienced before. There was a time in Jesus' ministry in John 6. The Bible said from that time many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. The book of Revelation said to one of the seven churches, I've set before you an open door. You can turn and walk out of here anytime you want to. God's not making you do anything. It's based on faith and then obedience. Jesus said though in Luke chapter 9 verse 62, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So one option is to just defy God and everything He wants you to do and just turn around and walk off and go back to where you came from. Go back to the sin, the alcohol, the drugs, the nicotine, the partying, whatever you, whatever it was before. You can go back to that if you want to. The second option option was the children of Israel could have defied God and turned aside. To have done so would have assured their utter destruction at the hand of Pharaoh's approaching army. You remember? There was mountains to the right and mountains to the left, and they had no way of escape, but it was an option. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Bible said, You shall observe to do, therefore, as the Lord your God has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that you may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So the second option, it's not turning around and going back to Egypt, but going to the right or to the left. I'm just going to wander off that way, and we'll wander off that way. It's an option. It's not a good one. Pharaoh's going to get you. He'll trap you in the woods, and you can't defend yourself. But it's an option. Number three, the children of Israel could have defied God and stood still. The great faith of Moses is clearly shown. In Exodus 14, Moses said, On the people, fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more, but just stand still. It's not the will of God. but It's an option. Moses firmly believed that God would deliver Israel by His power. But it wasn't going to happen. Standing still, you've got to move, man you got to move in a direction this Godward. Let me hurry on, and I'm done here. The children of Israel had an option. You can obey God and move forward. Do you understand? I want everybody here this morning to understand. There's people here today that's afraid to pray, because every time you do, Betty, it stirs you up you're afraid to really plunge into the Word of God because it's going to make you want to change what you think and how you think and how you're looking at the rest of your life. Remember what I said. If you want to go to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes but by me. You're not going to get there outside of Him. You're not going to get get there outside of believing in Him and obeying Him. It's not going to happen. Think what you want. Live like you want. Just do it. Whatever you want to do, throw in the towel. Throw in the towel on your marriage. Throw in the towel on your job. Throw in the towel on on any part of your life that you want to, but just remember this. One of these days, you'll stand before a very specific God who has very specific, well-defined, easy-to-understand commandments. I know it's not the kind of preaching that you necessarily came to hear this morning. But it's Bible. And it is a part of my pastoral duty to preach it. and To make you well aware of it. You can't have it your way. You just can't. So it's time for some folks here this morning to bow up. As Brother Curtis Young used to say, put your shoulder to the wheel. Just do it. Whatever it is that God wants you to do. There's young people here today that believes that lie and deception of the devil that I have my whole life to determine what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. No you don't. The Bible said today is the day of salvation, not the future. Today is. And I'm doing my best without trying to sound harsh and mean, cruel and inconsiderate. There's people here today in all kinds of circumstances. And you would to God that He would get you out of it. And He can't. Because you're either, number one, standing still. Number two, you've gone from one side to the other. Or number three, you've gone back to where you've come from. He can't help you until you're willing to move forward. Our campaign, as you've seen on the screens earlier this morning, for this year is just do it. Just do it. You need to quit coming up with reasons why you can't be at church on Wednesday night and start coming up with some reasons why you can. Quit coming up with reasons and excuses why you can't make a prayer meeting. I just want to say this quickly in passing, but it really bothers me. It really bothers me. When people come to me on a regular basis, and say, help me pray for da 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 going on in my life. We have prayer meeting. We had three Tuesday nights of prayer meeting. And there were three or four people that stood out in the lobby the entire time talking. And you're the ones that comes to me all the time saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Either you are out there talking or you weren't here. You need to learn how to just do it, man. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. You know what? but one way to learn. Just do it. Ain't a person here today. That ever read an instruction manual that taught you how to walk. There ain't a person here today that, that downloaded something off of Google and said, Oh, here's instructions. When you're about eight, nine, ten months old, pull up on the couch and walk down the side of the couch just holding on in your little wobbly, clumsy way. And pretty soon daddy is gonna sit on the other room, like on the other side of the room like an idiot and say, come to daddy knowing full, good, and well you can't walk. See how stupid we think sometimes? Hey, but well, one way to learn how to walk, buddy, you've got to take a step, and that foot ain't going to be right. The stuff in your ear, your equilibrium, it ain't going to be right. And you're going to do a face plant right in the middle of the floor. And you're going to hit your head on the corner of the coffee table, and you're going to bang your head on a toy you left on the floor. But if you want to learn to walk, that's how it's done. And there's going to be one moron in this building today that'll stand up and say, well, I learned to walk. When I stood up, I just started walking, man. Show me the video. (laughs) I want to see that. I did see a guy learn to ice skate that way. It's pretty amazing. He just watched everybody put on ice skates and off he went. Never failed or nothing. It was amazing. But folks, it's time to just do it. Please take the options off the table. Quit arguing with God and yourself and your spouse and your kids. Quit arguing and debating and say, but I want it my way. I want God to be like Burger King. And by God, if I don't want a pickle on my hamburger, don't put it on there. God ain't Burger King. He ain't going to hold the pickles and the lettuce and... Special orders do upset him. All he asks is that you let him have it his way. That was pretty cool right there. (laughs) Mike and Sheila, don't it feel good to just do it? Isn't it fulfilling just to do it? Somebody wrote me a text this week. Said God ministered to me last Sunday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's no other options. That was their words. No other options. Just do it. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm trying to help somebody. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not, I'm not, it's not about that. I care about you, man. I care about your soul. I want you to be happy with your relationship with Jesus and all the other relationships in your life. And I know we just had a tremendous move of God a little while ago, and I hope you all save this message a little bit. But this is what I'd like for us to do, and I would to God that everybody in the building will participate to the best of your ability. I'm asking you to participate to the best of your ability. I want them to start playing and singing softly. As many as it can come, I'd like for you to come up here and just kneel down in these altars. I'm going to ask my pastor staff to wait over here for a moment to pray with people. But I want you to come forward. Come on. And just find a place to kneel to pray. And I want you to give it to God right here. I want you to go ahead and give it to God. One last final time, God. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do it your way. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. This is, this is my life and you. And God, I'm not going to ask you to cater to me anymore. I'm not going to ask you to grant all of my wishes that come true. God, I want to do it your way. If there's not room up here, kneel at the chair where you're standing. But I'm going to ask everybody to spend a few minutes talking to God before you leave this morning. I'm going to ask you to get down somewhere and talk to God. If you can't kneel down, sit down. Stand up, whatever you need to do. Young people, it's time to dig your heels in the dirt. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do and I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm calling a prayer meeting church-wide this morning all across this building from one side to the other. I'm calling a prayer meeting. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray to get a hold of God. Pray like you used to pray. There's people here today that knows how to pray. I need for somebody to pray. I need for somebody to get a hold of God. I'm going to quit... I'm going to quit... Oh, am I bargaining with God? God, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to do it your way. You've heard the Word of God this morning. I've preached the Bible. I've preached the Word of God with everything in me. It's time to let the Lord have His way, folks. We've got to let Him have His way. Y'all go. Y'all go.